0: Well, hello, hello, everybody. Can you hear me? All right. looks like we are up and rolling, and it's a little dark. We're still working on some of this cool, funky stuff. But, uh, yeah, we are aiming at uh, kind of a new studio setup. And uh, (laughs) turn on the light. All right, hang on. We can do that. We can do that, a little better, a little better. Always hard to know how it's going to work out as we go forward. Is the audio good, Good good-ish, all right? Seem okay to you and me, but uh, we are looking to uh, futz around a little bit with uh, our studio and the lighting and all kinds of cool stuff bit dark yeah I agree we'll uh, we'll work on it we'll work on it, and um, I try and figure out the best way to make it all work, but we have uh, uh i'm free of the microphone, as you can see there's no mic in front of me it's a shotgun, and we have some different possibilities with the background, not that i wasn't of course happy with everyone saying you're killing my a phone every single time you do a show because this white background and, dare I say, the white foreground um, what's well, a little bit tough for people. So it's uh, it's coming along. We'll uh, uh, build in some... St- I'm sort of starting somewhat small. We're building in some stuff and uh, we're going to try and make it uh, just look a little bit less garish, a little bit less bright. And uh, see, this is what we're going to do. We, <laughs> we're going to... Uh, Keep it dark for a little while, and then just when you're used to it, I'm going to turn on every single cathedral light known to man, and uh, it's going to be just uh, crazy. But uh, yeah, that's what we're sort of aiming to do, and um, I hope that you enjoy it, and thank you everyone, of course, who has donated and supported the show to make all of this possible. I'm very pleased, and uh, I hope that uh, you like it. Uh, I do have some options. I can actually swap out like I can change the color uh, behind me, uh, which is kind of cool if people want it like that. Um, Oh, this is geeky stuff, but I love it. I can, uh, swap it out. If you want to get a little citrusy, just a little tangeriney, we could do all of that. And, um, anyway, I'll go back to what I was thinking of and, uh, We will sort it out. So, (sighs) hello, my friends, and we are going to talk a little bit about International Men's Day, and I'm going to tell you some of my thoughts about it, and I really want to get your thoughts. What is it like out there to be a man, to date a man, to love a man? What is it like for you guys these days in the realm of the West when it comes to masculinity. So, here's what I find very frustrating about being a man in the modern West. Disasters are approaching, disasters are coming. I think we all know it. We've talked about it, in this show a whole bunch of times. Things are coming that are gonna be an extraordinarily deep and dark challenge for humanity. And I think that men, is pretty good. Uh, Men are are pretty good at figuring out when risks are coming, when there's going to be a problem, taking proactive steps to try and solve these problems. That is something that men are pretty good at. And the one thing that's really frustrating is because of all of this uh, government programs and welfare state and forcing to pay for migrants and forcing to to pay for welfare and forcing to pay for Uh, mass migration from all corners of the planet, It, it means that we can't do anything really to slow down. It sometimes even seems to slow down or to stop any of the disasters that are approaching. And as a man, and I'm sure you feel the same way if you're a man as well, we're pretty good at knowing when disasters are coming. And what we want to do is leap into action to deal with these issues. And I just feel... Bound up like Frodo in a Shelob web. I just feel bound up and constricted and tight like I just can't take the action that's necessary in order to avert coming disastrous. And that is really tough. (laughs) That is really tough. There's that old biblical saying that he who increaseth in knowledge also increaseth in sorrow. And uh, I'm not sure that's ever felt more true in the world as a whole. Then it feels at the moment, it really feels at the moment like disasters are coming. I'd love to leap into action to try and solve them, but I can't. (laughs) Because the one great weapon for preventing coercive disasters in the world has been taken from us. And that is the power of ostracism, the power of withholding resources from people with whom we disagree. That has been taken away from us. If you don't like single moms, too bad. The government is gonna rip into your wallet with all the power and force of the state and it's gonna take that money from you and redistribute it to single moms, whether you like it or not. And that's life in the West as a man. Do you not like mass immigration from the third world? Sorry, doesn't matter. You gotta step up, man up I dare say, and pay your taxes anyway so that we can buy votes using people imported from all four corners of the world who are statistically going to vote socialists, going to vote large government, going to vote for the left, the Labor, the Democrats, you name it. Because, oh, it's racist to be concerned about immigration from the third world. It's like, no, it's not, (laughs) because statistically, they're going to overwhelmingly vote for the left. So, of course, they act as a block, differently since, say, your average white male. So calling it racist is ridiculous. Racist is when you have a negative judgment about a group which isn't backed up by any kind of data. And if you want small government, well, guess what? Third world immigration, third world migration is not your friend. So of course, it's funny that the left screams racist at everyone who can read statistics about voting patterns and demographics. But of course, it's exactly those demographics and the voting patterns that the left is completely relying on in order to maintain and expand power. So it is a little frustrating. It is a little frustrating. Do you uh, wanna get divorced? Well, (laughs) sorry, can't really do Or you can do it in terms of not living with someone, you can do it in terms of not having sex with someone, you can do it in terms of not having the care and comforts of somebody running your household, but you can't do it with regards to just hanging on to your money. See, you can fire your wife. You just can't ever stop paying for her in many places. What is it in California? After 10 years, you have to pay until the end of time, pretty much. You have to pay for as long as she's drawing breath. (laughs) I don't get any ideas. So this all very tough. The choices are whittled down to the point where, eh, free speech, you know, it's worth fighting for. Don't get me wrong. It's really, really important to be able to make these arguments. But it feels like, Free speech without free action is like trying to eat a recipe book and thinking you've had a meal, because free speech is supposed to give us the capacity to change our minds about things, to change fundamentally our resource allocation about things. And because the government takes and takes and takes, largely from men, largely from white men, and gives to women, gives to minorities and so on, well... It's, it's nice to have free speech in theory, but if you can't use it to hang on to any of your money, it really doesn't feel much like free speech at all. So I just wanted to uh, point that out and to mention that there is this frustration. And I was just thinking, I don't know if you've ever had this thought. I was just thinking about, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be great? Think of how much time you would be able to save in your life if you didn't have to constantly worry and fret and fume and try and talk about and try and convince people about the next disastrous thing the government was doing. Hey, let's let out a bunch of violent criminals. Sounds great. Hey, why don't we sign this UN migration compact so that we can open up the sluices and floodgates to mass third world, largely Muslim immigration to first world countries, would that be great? Oh, and also if you criticize it, Well, that's hate speech, and you may be going to jail. Like, if you didn't constantly have these random electrical shocks of terrible government programs that you had to keep being aware of, at least for me, and fighting and pushing back and researching, wouldn't it be wild if you didn't have to wake up each morning, put on your crash helmet, scroll through Twitter, and say, hey, I wonder what terrible things have now happened overnight that I need to be aware of that I can do almost nothing about men we think and we speak in order to act and when the action and the choices are stripped from us well the, the thinking and the speaking well it's nice in theory and I suppose it keeps us occupied but it really feels like you're trying to drive a car with the wheels three feet off any kind of grip off any kind of tarmac and that That gets a little frustrating (laughs) from time to time. So I wanted to mention that. And I do want to ask uh, you guys what your thoughts are. But let me just spend a minute or two. So many years ago, I wanted to do a documentary. And then I got sick. I got cancer. And um, it it all fell by the wayside. And my animator flaked out. And it was a mess. Anyway, my fault, my responsibility. Of course, I was the one in charge. But lo these many moons later... It was about a year ago on a show, I was talking with a guest and we were talking about Poland's hundred year anniversary. So I grabbed a film crew and went out and, and, and had a, a wonderful guy set up a whole bunch of interviews and, and we met with academics and politicians and activists. I got a tour of the parliament and uh, it was a wild time. And a huge amount of work. I'll tell you this. I, I am not going to a place where there's a six-hour time difference and starting work immediately the next morning because Steph but needs a little bit of time to transition. It's not particularly enjoyable to just be shot out of a sleepy cannon and try and hit the ground running full-tilt boogie right away. But we were there for seven days. And, I mean, we spoke with a whole bunch of people, uh, joined in the march, and did... Uh, Great walk and Talks uh, talked about Polish history and where it is currently in relation to the EU, why it has this perspective against collectivism, particularly supranational agencies like the EU, which is reminiscent, of course, of the USSR. It's the EU-SSR these days. Why it has the history it has with concerns for Islam and so on. It was great. It was really a wonderful time, a powerful time, a very tiring time. I mean... I've got a fair amount of go-go juice in the old system, but um, I was I was flying back pretty much on fumes as far as personal energy went. But I uh, had some good sleep and recovered, and now we're putting together all of the footage, and it's going to be a really good documentary. And, of course, speaking of documentaries, you may have noticed <clears throat> I am wearing the Hoaxed shirt. Hoaxed is uh, aiming to be out early next month. That's December 2018, and there's going to be December 6th in Washington, D.C., I believe. Check it out at hoaxedmovie.com. It's a great movie, and I hope that you will uh, check it out. And uh, it's going to be available online. And uh, please, please, you know, buy it if you can, like it if you can, share it and tell people about it. It's not a left-right film. It's not a MAGA film, and it's certainly not a yay Mike Cernovich film, but it is a very powerful film. And uh, I show up a few times here and there, um, mostly in the in-between cuts, uh, pretty much the same as what Tyler Durden sliced in in Fight Club. You'll see it! Uh, and of course, uh, it has to be IMAX for obvious reasons. So, uh, I will take, uh, just really wanted to take this uh, new studio setup for a test run, and uh seems to be doing all right. Uh, comments are that uh, it's a little murky, <laughs> it's a little dark, which uh, we will work on, but um If you do want to uh, fire me some questions, I would appreciate that. The best way to do it is throw it up in the super chat. And uh, it really feels like uh, it should be a superhero. Uh, So Joshua says, I'm not racist, but I do not want to import people with values that if widely adopted will destroy the culture that created me. Well, sure, well, sure, I, I did a presentation called The Truth About Free Speech. I've done a presentation called America's Demographics. And yeah, we lose free speech if we keep importing people from the third world because people from the third world, for a variety of issues to do with religion, to do with culture, to do with cousin marriage, reducing IQ by 10 plus points to do with IQ as a whole, you're just not going to get to keep it. You're not, you're not going to get to keep it. And now, of course, we see America has a couple of Muslim congressmen, congresswomen, congresspeople, I guess, at the moment, and of course they come from, what is it, Minneapolis, there's a big Somali Muslim population there, and it's not like the Somali Muslim population are not sitting there going, huh, well, I wonder what everyone's positions are, and I wonder how it ties into the Constitution, and I wonder how it ties into the wonderful Western traditions that are keeping me alive and afloat, well, I guess welfare is not really keeping people alive and afloat according to Western traditions, but they're not evaluating people, According to the policies, what they are doing is saying, "Oh, there's a Muslim who looks like me." Check box, check box, check box. You know, and the blacks did it with Obama and so on. So you are going to Ocasio, Alexandria Ocasio, Cortez, right? I mean, so people are saying, "Oh, it's Hispanic or whatever, like me," and so people are just voting along racial lines, ethnic lines, religious lines, and so on. And it's no evaluation of policies. There's just a wet finger squint at um, skin tone and, and ethnicity and religion. I mean, it's just tribalism. This is exactly what you would predict. And what has been predicted very, very many times in the West, which is you start bringing in different ethnicities. And if you don't have a strong enough culture to unite them all together under universal values, and given that, I mean, I've been working hard, and please, please check out my book Essential Philosophy, which uh, you can find at freedomainradio.com essential philosophy uh, it's uh, you can watch it here on youtube uh, there's uh, on soundcloud there are links to um, listen to it in wav or you can download it if you want in mp3 i have enabled the download option so you can listen to it uh, on an mp3 it's in two parts i was wrestling with it for days before i realized soundcloud has a limit of 6 hours and 40 minutes which is shorter than my audiobook so If you don't have universal virtues to tie a population together, then they are gonna just fragment along tribal, ethnic, religious, and racial lines. It's just the way it's gonna be. My team good, your team bad, my team skin color, ethnicity, background, uh, religion, you name it. That's just how it is. And if you have, as America did have in the past, a rough separation of church and state Christian foundation. well then, if you get Christians from the West coming into the country, yeah, okay, they'll adapt. you know it's like a strong current, uh, all the salmon end up swimming the same way, not all at the same time, not all in exactly the same direction, but in general, they end up swimming the same way. And in the culture of semi-dayist. Christianity that founded the United States you bring Christians in and they can be Christians or they can be agnostics and so on and it can kind of work out. They can be deists, right? Deist is the idea that God wound up the universe and then kind of buggered off, right? Got things started but doesn't intervene anymore and has just retreated to watch the play unfold, so to speak. And because there aren't universal values that are held by Americans as a whole anymore— then there's no strong current for people to get in line with and it's really hard to sell first world values to third world cultures these days because the third world cultures look at first world countries and say well there's a lot of debt there's a lot of decadence there's a lot of hedonism there's a lot of sexually transmitted diseases they don't really get married or if they do they get divorced a lot the men are miserable uh, as a whole And the educational system is terrible, and they just print money rather than confront difficult issues. And they just don't have enough babies, so they can't sustain themselves as a culture. So who is supposed to say, gosh, I want me some of that? Now, people will come for the money, but they're not coming for the values, because the values that we currently manifest post-Boomer are not particularly valuable. I surprised someone the other day when I was saying how there are certain things that I admire about Islam. It's very true. Islam and uh, Sikhism and uh, other religions, which is the parents of those religions really do work to inculcate values into the minds, hearts, and souls of their children. They expend the energy. They maintain themselves as moral authorities. They work really hard to instill what is to them objective values into the hearts, minds, and souls of their children. Whereas... Basically, since the 60s, the youth in the West have just been ridiculously adrift, wildly adrift, invent everything for yourself, and they exist in a state of chronic anxiety and irritation, because they just have to kind of reinvent everything from scratch. Oh, that's why there was monogamy. Oh, that's why you didn't sleep around. Oh, that's why you didn't just live for money. Oh, that's why you didn't just live for fame. Like, everything was abandoned by the boomers as a whole, and... Post-boomers, we've all just been trying to evolve from nothing back to civilization rapidly. And that's not much for people to envy. So, all right. You've got questions, particularly on the old International Man's Day. I'm happy to hear them. Uh, here we go. Nikolai says, I believe that Western civilization is going to fail, just like other civilizations that came before them. However, we have the technology to save some of it. What should we save? Well, certainly this new studio setup is number one. There's an old quote from Gandhi that I didn't really understand as much at the time. I'm beginning to appreciate it a little bit more as I get older. And the quote goes like this. Somebody said to Gandhi, what do you think of Western civilization? And Gandhi said, I think it would be a good idea. That's quite fascinating. What do you think of Western civilization? I think it would be a good idea. Civilizations don't fail. Civilizations don't fall. Because as long as you have a civilization, you won't fall. Civilizations fall when you are no longer civilized. Civilizations fall when you substitute propaganda, brainwashing, and coercive state redistribution. For free thought, free speech, free action, and free markets. You can't destroy a civilization. As long as it's still civilized, it's invulnerable. But this unholy bargain that, not to pick too much on the boomers, but I pick a lot on the boomers, this unholy bargain that Western populations were offered, you can be free of insecurity. You can be free of risk. You can be free of disaster, and all you have to do is vote for whoever is gonna offer you the most money. I think it was Franklin, or Jefferson, I think, who said the Republic will last until the point where the people realize they can vote wealth out of the treasury for themselves. It's very tempting for us as wayward haphazard, at-risk, and inconstant mammals, it's very tempting for us to attempt to create a portal to heaven that leads only to hell. The portal to heaven is, oh, honey, did you get uh, knocked up by the wrong guy? Did you forget to take birth control? Did you try and snag a guy with vagina clamps and he just broke free, leaving some seed behind? Well, that's tough. Boy, that's... Uh That's tough. Boy, your parents must be really mad, really upset about all of that. Well, not to worry, honey. No biggie. We'll just crank up the printing presses, borrow a whole bunch of money, and give you the money to raise your kids. it's easy. You know, because she's sad. You know, she's crying, she's upset, the parents are mad, and, you know, everybody votes and and feels sympathy and and all that. So, that's the great temptation. Oh, man, did you end up going out partying a lot. Oh, that's, that was fun, wasn't it? Oh, man. So it was up all night, uh, disco ringing tinnitus in the ear, wolfing down street meet at four o'clock in the morning, trying to figure out if it's worth going home to, for a quick shit shower and shave, and <laughs> start up at the morning. Or if you just go to an all night diner, grab a couple of cups of coffee, and move your way through to the next day. You keep doing that, you keep doing that, you keep, oh, did you get a, did you get fired? Oh, man. That's rough, man. I mean, you know, if you hadn't been out partying and drinking all night, maybe you wouldn't have got fired. But you got fired. I get it. You know, hey, man, it happens. So, well, just fire up the printing presses, print a whole bunch of bonds, borrow a whole bunch of money, and next thing you know, we'll get you some good old unemployment insurance, and, uh, yeah, you'll be fine. Oh, no. That didn't happen, did today. <gasps> oh Did you... Sugar bomb, eat yourself into diabetes? Oh, man. Woof. That's tough. Well, not to worry. We'll just have socialized health care take care of you for the next 40 years at a cost of millions and millions and millions of dollars. So you can't let people die in the street and in the gutter This idea of letting, you can't let the poor suffer. You can't let the sick be sick. You just, you can't let it happen. As if you You have control over everyone, and you're just not exercising the right control in the right way. It's a very, very bizarre mindset. So this bargain, this culture, exists because of decadence, you understand. Decadence is the shadow. Culture is the statue. Or you could say, actually since I say that the cause effect is another way, Decadence is the canyon. Culture is the bridge. We have a civilization because we're animals, and we need to fight that, and we need to rise above that, and we need to have appetites beyond the mere physical. We need to have elevated appetites, elevated vision, which is deferral of gratification and all of that. We need to have these things so much. That is civilization, fundamentally. We have muscles because we fight resistance. We have bones because we fight gravity. We have a spine because the world is constantly trying to accordion pull us down to the center of the planet. We have thoughts because we have doubt and we have error and we need to be correct. We have engineering because we can't squint our way into building a cathedral. We have all of the great things in life because of all of the dangerous and dark things in life. And so when you take away risk, you take away morality. When you take away consequences, you take away what is elevated and human, distinctly human within us, which is the chance to see over the horizon conceptually into the many dominoed consequences of our actions. You take away disaster. And you take away community. Why do we need community? Why did people used to gather together and help each other build a barn? Why did everyone in Europe help each other gather the crops in the late harvest time. You needed community because without community, you simply couldn't survive. And when government just keeps pumping money and pumping money and pumping money and pumping money money into the community, it washes away the community. It washes away the need for values. It washes away the need for philosophy. Why has philosophy Indulged itself. You, you, you understand, you saw a rise in the welfare state at the same time as you saw a spread in postmodernism, cultural Marxism. The two go hand in hand. You can indulge yourself in esoteric claptrap like postmodernism if you're getting money from the government, if you're getting tenure from the government, if your job is guaranteed by the government. You can afford that stuff. I remember once, I think it was my therapist years ago, who said, That if you have an addictive personality, being in possession of great talent, great looks or great money is the greatest disaster that you can have. Because then you get attention, you get uh, options, you get choices, and you really face very, very few consequences in the short run for negative behavior. Like if you're a a, a drunk, you're an alcoholic, if you've got to get up and go to work, that's going to put some limit on how much you can drink and what you can muster, and it's going to give you that sense of, well, if I do get fired, that's really, no, welfare, that's really bad. If you win the lottery and you're an alcoholic, (sighs) reality (sniffs) puffs and vanishes, right? It's brutal. It's brutal. When you take away consequences, you take away civilization. And trying to resurrect philosophy in the presence of the endless, our selected fantasy of infinite resources called the modern socialist state is really, really hard. Is why, why, because people like, they don't even want to confront each other anymore. Four words to ruin Thanksgiving dinner. Orange man, not bad. Who did you vote for? <laughs> I mean, we can't even, we become snowflakes, of course, because there's no point in having tough conversations with people because the resources are infinite. All right. Thank you very much. It's a great question. And okay, I appreciate that. Somebody sent me a super chat in a currency that looks really impressive. Um, and I've I been mean, fooled with that once before. It's not quite that way. But uh, nonetheless, I hugely appreciate the support. All right. Let us continue. William Merrick said just wanted to say thank you we debated free will a while back and you called out childhood trauma i can report that since then i've dealt with it quite dramatically in a talk therapy session and become a christian thank you well uh william i really appreciate that it's very very kind and yeah it is quite common and i've done it too i've done it too uh you hide behind abstractions in order to avoid the scar tissue of early trauma and you think you're making choices i remember i don't think there was this guy no, no, this is, this is probably seven or eight years ago. I had a very vivid conversation. I don't remember the podcast. You can find it at fdrpodcast.com under free will. But I had a very vivid conversation with a man who was a determinist, and it turned out that his parents let him make almost no choices as a child, and they, in fact, locked him in his room for good portions of his childhood. So since he wasn't able to exercise free will as a child, he rejected the theory of free will as an adult. Plus, of course, if you've been brutalized by your parents or your priest or your teachers or whoever, if you've been brutalized by an adult authority figure, it's a whole lot easier to say, well, they didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. It's just rocks rolling down a hill, crashing into each other. That way you don't have to deal with the pain of being acted upon in an evil manner being the victim of evildoers. That makes you pain, in pain. That gives you pain and it gives you anger. And the anger is what frees you from repetition of that evildoing. So I'm very glad that my conversation helped. I really appreciate your kind words. Bruno says, Merci, Monsieur Maligneux. Your intellectual and empirical analysis has been educational and enlightening, especially when it comes to peaceful parenting. Thank you. Ah, yes, my daughter has instructed me in no uncertain terms, to remind you, well, to inform you, I think is a better way of putting it, to inform you that we are going to do another show together. And the first one, an introduction to Peaceful Parenting, I didn't brand it with her because I kind of wanted to see how it went and how it was received, so you can check that out on YouTube, it's uh, I think two weeks back or so, maybe three. But we are, so yeah, send your questions in. You know, the email's on the website, or you can put it in the comments below this show or uh, uh, other places. Uh, I'm sure you know how to get a hold of me. But yeah, send in your questions. You really, really did enjoy the show. And it's so funny, a, t- a tweet. I've been really, you know, working the Twitter account recently like a giant attempting to create a volcano with a set of bellows. But um, I, um, I put out a tweet with one of my daughter's pictures, and I said, my daughter is not very much into princesses, and it was a picture she drew um, a couple months ago when she was, I guess, nine and a half, uh, yeah, nine and a half or so, and it was of a a big fierce dragon, and uh, that was seen by close to a quarter million people, and she got incredibly good feedback, not even counting what was going on on Facebook, but uh, I'm like, man, I'm in the wrong, (laughs) business enough of this philosophy stuff i'm just going to draw dragons because that was a good picture and all that but uh, it was really very nice uh to to see how people responded to that so yeah we're going to do a show so get your questions in um one of the big questions we're going to deal with is the great skittle controversy from my earlier podcast and you'll well if you were around back then you know what i'm talking about if not you'll know about it when we talk about it more so yeah i appreciate that the peaceful parenting is very important it's something of course that you can do in your personal life can't alter the federal reserve policy can't directly influence the un or anything like that but 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 what you can do is you can not initiate force against people in your own life you say oh i don't go around punching people it's like yeah but but if you are withholding food from your child or sending your child to bed or hitting your child or screaming at your child or yelling at your child, calling your child names. You know, calling people names is not illegal, but uh, it's pretty nasty for a developing brain. And uh, the violence, spanking violates the non-aggression principle. Spanking is hitting a child, not in self-defense, like the child is running at you with a chainsaw or something like that. So, yeah, spanking is a violation of the non-aggression principle. And you don't have to do it. And you shouldn't do it. It's so much fun to have parenting where you don't have, right? The back of my hand, as a friend of mine's mom used to say. All right. The Texan said, thank you for your super chat. He said, thanks for your hard work. I wrote a book on philosophy called Modalities of Conversation. Can I send you a copy? And here, I'm afraid I must break your heart. I... Would rather you didn't, and I'm I'm sorry to say that I really am sorry to say that. I wish I had time for all of the the the, the projects and the, the thoughts and the ideas that people have. Uh, I I'm sure it would be a great book to read. I'm sure it would be very interesting. I am very busy. Uh, I'm very busy, and uh, the idea that I'm going to have time to sit down—not just sit down, but make notes and give feedback and then you know maybe perhaps read the next one if it's going if it's sort of a work in progress that's a big job that's a big job and i, I i'm you know with with parenting and, and the documentary and doing regular shows and upgrading the studio and so on it's just a kind of crazy busy time it usually is of course it's kind of a crazy busy time and so i um now of course the fact that you've written a book on philosophy is wonderful and I think it would be great for you to get that work out there. And, you know, the best way to do that is, I mean, I hate to say, just do what I did or whatever, but just, you know, start a channel or find some, write a blog, find some way to get it out. And, um, I don't know if you can still do this. I don't know what the policies are these days, but, um, um, Back in the day, this is probably 11 or 12 years ago now, back when I was starting out. What I used to do was, you know, I'd record a show and then I would spend hours and hours just posting it to message boards and sending it to people, like uh, just a podcast or whatever, just so that people could get, get a hold of it or be aware. Or, you know, what I did also was I wrote for uh, a couple of more popular libertarian uh, blogs that I've had. Articles pulled from sense, which I can sort of understand in a way, but, you know, just find somebody who's got a larger audience, and um, particularly if it's a fairly popular site that will publish outside authors, just put your best foot forward, and that's where my very first article was published. Oh, I guess it doesn't matter if I say lewrockwell.com, uh, and I think the links are still there, but I don't think the searches work for me anymore. But um, the Stateless Society and Examination of Alternatives was my first big brainwave about how a free, truly free society would work. And that eventually grew into the books uh, Everyday Anarchy and Practical Anarchy and the whole uh, approach to this. So there's lots of ways that you can get your book out there. I am very sorry that I would not be able to do it justice or have time, but I don't want you to send something in, wait for my feedback, if it's not going to be particularly imminent. So I'm sorry about that. Thank you very much for the support. There's lots of ways you can get uh, the book out these days and I hope that you will uh, uh, I hope you will give that a try. We certainly could um use a whole lot more philosophy in the world so. <laughs> Cuck Lord says, How would you recommend someone exiled by family on ODSP in Canada and feel trapped in my apartment where you barely ever leave? I'm alone, but I know I'm not. I want to go to America. Twenty-four old am I missing something here? just feels like that got cut off. Hold on a sec here. Um, Oh, 24 24 years old. Uh, ODSP, I assume that's disability of some kind. I'm sorry, I don't know the the acronym, but um, exiled by my family, I'm sorry about that, gosh. You know, it's funny, I I I go back and forth on this. And I, I think reasonably so. Let me know what you think. But life should have a decent amount of momentum. In other words, not everything should be willed. Because will is a a turbo resource that dries up pretty quickly like you've ever played those games like those racing games uh, nitro like you hit the nitro right you go leaping forward willpower is kind of like that but it doesn't last so willpower is good for dislodging you from inertia but it's not good as a sustainable method of like i don't have to will myself to do philosophy i'm not like oh i gotta get up and like i'm yay get to a A chat uh, on International Men's Day with the greatest audience in the world. I mean that absolutely um, for sure. So, I mean, there's a couple of times where I have to will things, but not much. You know, like when it's, um, when I, you know, we did an overnight flight to Poland and I was really tired and to get up and talk about academics and economics and so on, which are topics that I love, but I had to really, like, oh, I got to get myself up and going for that kind of stuff. Um, but for the most part, like I would say, like 95% of what I do is, you know, very pleasurable and, and, and very enjoyable. I'm sorry, I'm being redundant. Let me just try and trim that down. Because if I have a life where I have to will everything, that's really exhausting. That haven't been said. If you're really stuck, it might be time to hit the jump boots. It might be time to hit the turbo. It might be time to engage the nitro. And what I mean by that is, can you open the door, walk to the sidewalk and go back? Can you open the door, walk down to the end of the street and come back? Can you go and buy a coffee and come back? Can you just break out of that particular pattern? Because you know what happens in life if you let the fears and the, the restrictions collapse in on you you, you, you get smaller and your life gets smaller and tighter and, and it becomes even harder to move. Face fears, overcome fears is very, very important. Very important. I was shy as a child. And I had to work hard to be in a situation where I can be this effusive and, and public about what's going on in my heart and my mind. And other things like I used to have a big fear of heights. And then when I was my, a teenager, I went uh, skydiving and pretty much burned out and tired of my system entirely. So there are times where you just do need to grit your teeth and you need to Get out there and make something happen. And you got to start small, because if you start big, you're just setting yourself up for failure, you know? But, uh, you know, like if, if, let's say, you're not comfortable speaking in front of people, well, you can join Toastmasters. You can just practice speaking. Uh, you can give speeches to your family. You, whatever it is, like you can find ways to make that uh, happen. And I always had, did have a bit of a performer ability or performer desire. I uh, I, I wrote this in my novel, The God of Atheists, but it was a, a moment or a story taken from my actual life when I was about eight. I was reading the book Emil and the Detectives. I basically was like, we had these folding desks in school and I would uh, put the book I wanted to read and I was reading the book. It's a really, Eric Kastner, I think it is a great book. Uh, I've read it to my daughter, or with my daughter. And it's got a wonderful dream sequence that makes no sense, but is literarily quite delightful. But um, I was reading this book and the teacher got mad at me. And this was not the first time or the last time where the teacher would get mad at me rather than saying, Hey, I wonder if I'm just boring, the teacher would say, right? You know, <laughs> it's like uh, if you've ever been to see a really bad comedian and the bad comedian gets angry at the audience for not enjoying the jokes, that's terrible. That's terrible. And um, I was reading Emerald and the Detectives, the teacher got mad at me. And it was one of these petty, stupid teachers, in other words, just about every teacher I ever had. And the teacher said, oh, Mr. Molyneux, apparently you don't need my lessons. Apparently you're so well-informed about what I'm talking about that you can just get up and teach the class yourself. Now, can't you? Not not massively fun, but, you know, I'm like, okay. You know, like when I'm staring down the... uh, Australian and New Zealand media. I'm like, okay, well, if you want to you wanna rumble, let's rumble. And so he demanded I get up and, no, it was she. So she demanded I get up and teach the lesson. So I got up. It was Friday the 10th. Let's just say it was Friday the 10th. I don't remember the actual date. It was Friday the 10th. I got up to the front of the class, and I wrote November the 11th rather than November the 10th, or September the 11th, rather than September the 10th. And the class started giggling. And I turned around and said, what's so funny? And they said, you got the date wrong. And I said, no, I didn't, it's the 11th. You know what that means? It's Saturday, class dismissed. (laughs) I don't know where it comes from, but it comes and it served me well in my life. And so, I think you might just have to will yourself to do you know one foot in front of the other one step at a time, and if you can't, if you don't have a lot of mobility uh then um you can do mental mobility, you can take your place at the culture wars, which can happen through typing and recording, so I think it's important to just will something an object that is that it's', it's another saying that I got all these little things I've sort of stitched together into a pastiche of useful things I hope they're useful i was told when I started my business career, if you ever want something done, give it to the busy man. <laughs> they said man, anyway. If you ever want something done, give it to the busy man. Isn't that fascinating? It's really true, <laughs> it's really true. And an object that is at rest tends to stay at rest, and an object that is in motion tends to stay in motion. But to take an object from being at rest to being in motion takes a lot of energy and effort. So I think you, you might just have to get out and the first little bit's going to be real doozy. And then it just gets easier and easier as you go forward. And once you get real momentum, you will realize that motion has saved your life. We are like sharks. We are designed to swim or to sink. We don't have a bladder. All right. I hope that helps. I don't think there's a solution is in America. It might be. But the solution is probably more to do with um just getting you um just getting you into motion, all right, Blake says, "What do you think about open convos with other creators to address social governmental problems of the day with market ideas for alternative and personal change? I think this would be a great change of pace for you and the show, Ha, la, la, la. yeah, I mean, what do you mean change of pace? <laughs> I've done tons of interviews and debates and conversations with other people who are alternative media people. So um, you, you might want to go back and check uh, some of those things. I have pulled back, as you know, I mean, as you probably know, I have pulled back on the call-in shows. I do have some really good ones to release, just sort of individual convos. I'm still doing the individual convos. And I've pulled back on expert interviews for a couple of reasons. One is that I've interviewed just about everyone I want to interview. I'm sure new people would come along, but I was sitting there with a blank piece of paper the other day, like, who's my wish list of who to interview? And i like, I don't know. I mean, some people I'd like to chat with again, maybe, but I wasn't, I wasn't really like, oh, I got to get this guy or I got to get this woman or whatever. So I've talked to just about everyone I want to talk to. And it's a huge amount of work, like just to, it's like two or three days straight just to get A good questions for one interview like I gotta read one or two books a whole bunch of articles and look at their previous interviews to make sure I don't cover old ground it's a big big chunk and I mean this may sound kind of silly but what happened for me was I want to do more creating and less questioning so you know when I do an interview it's fun and it's interesting for me but it's 90% me just going "Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And interesting ask another question and and so on so and I, I've done that for like 10 years or 11 years and it's been great we've got hundreds and hundreds of interviews but then and I really saw this at the end of Hoaxed I won't tell you about it but at the end of the movie Hoaxed where I'm in I really saw wow yeah, I can do a lot more with this camera stuff it's another one of the reasons why we jetted off to Poland to shoot this documentary because um, I have not been leveraging my social skills or my in person, on camera skills, rather than sort of in the studio, and I'd like to do more of that. So, uh, I had yeah, like I had an invite. I think it was from Destiny uh, to to do debates and stuff like that. And well, it's funny, you know, Ann Coulter. It's not related to Destiny or anything. And when I was in um, and when at Politicon with uh, Mike Surinovich to help promote Hoaxed and to chat with people and and be interviewed a couple of times, Ann Coulter was up there. With Ben Stein, Ben Stein, and um, people were nagging, "Why don't you?" she was thinking, "Why don't you take this debate from person X, Y, and Z?" And she's like, "I don't know who this person is. I'm not just going to debate with anyone, you know. I mean, does he have a New York Times bestseller? He doesn't have to have like a dozen like me, but does he have at least one? <laughs> because you know, let's debate anyone. It's... So, all right. I hope that helps. Buzz." Hall said, men's day, we need more. Well, here's the challenge, right? I I did tweet about this, so I'll keep it real brief. But men, in particular white men, we're kind of hated because we are the elemental foundational tax cattle that keeps this whole crappy system running. And when you exploit people, you have to dehumanize them. Like if you have slaves, you can't look at them as fully human. And you have to set up this situation with the slaves where the slaves are inert because they're slaves and being brutalized and dominated. So they don't really want to work. And they want to laze around if they can, or they'll work slowly just to be passive-aggressively annoying. And it's perfectly understandable. But then what happens is you get into this cycle Where you say, ah, these slaves, they're so lazy. They're shiftless. They don't work hard. They're not focused. They're not interested in being productive. No wonder they're slaves. It's like, no, no, they're doing that because they're slaves. Ah, these Soviet-era employees in the factory, they're just not motivated to do good work. They're shoddy. They're lazy. They're slipshod, inattentive, always trying to sneak off, smoking a vodka. Well, sure they are, because they're kind of slaves, right? I mean, because they're slaves to the communist system. I mean, it literally is, and this is an extreme example, it's like getting mad at people in a concentration camp for just not being full of pep and positivity and not being innovative and not giving you good ideas. So white males in particular, in the West, we are the taxpayers. We are the taxpayers. We pay a significant majority of the taxes. I think you you could look at this Australian study where they figured out men and women, how much they pay into the system and how much they take out. And women take out vastly more than they put in. And men take out vastly less than they put in. So men, in particular white men in the West, just demographically true for now, we work a hell of a lot and we pay taxes a hell of a lot. And other people come in and take those taxes from us and use it to their own purposes. So of course we're hated, because you can't exploit people unless you dehumanize them. It's like the blacks in South Africa, for the most part, white people didn't steal steal their land. But you see, they want to take land from the white people. They want to take land from the white farmers, the white farmers who built those lands and have been around in South Africa longer than whites have been in America. They want to take the white people's land. But if you empathize with someone and you view them as another human being like yourself, it's really tough to just go in and take their land, using the power of the state or whatever. So what you have to do is you have to call them racists and you have to call them Nazis and you have to call them white supremacists or white nationalists or you just, oh, they stole our land, we're just taking it back, or they beat us all up during apartheid and they just threw us in prison and blah, 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 blah. although the population of blacks grew up 800% under apartheid. That's not exactly a genocide, my friends, and Um, the whites in South Africa introduced modern medicine and sanitation and books and reading and the wheel and anyway. But you, if you want to take something from someone, you have to dehumanize them first. Of course, right? And so the reason why there's all of this white male cisgendered scum stuff is because people steal from us using the power of the state. And you have to dehumanize someone you want to exploit. You can't exploit them unless you've dehumanized them. It's the way it works, psychologically and emotionally. So that's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. And white males in the West have the nervous, quaking, jumpiness and obsequiousness of people who are in, abusive relationships we are in an abusive relationship with our culture and with our governments and with everyone around so it's uh it's rough and the odds of it ending even remotely well are very 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 low sadly uh booker thank you very much for your super chat i appreciate that you don't have a question Scott McLean, any interest in trying to get Maxime Bernier on at some point to give the guy another large platform to reach Canadians from? Yeah, I mean, I'm interested. I think he's an interesting guy, and uh, I appreciate the work that he's doing here in Canada. Um, I'm not going to talk about why I'm postponing that, but there is a good reason, which will come out um, over time and will hopefully make a good deal of sense. Um... Let's see here. Oh yeah, if you have more questions, feel free to throw them into the chat. This really was just a kind of test run and I did want to touch base with you guys. I haven't really chatted with you in a while. I'm sorry about that. Again, all of this studio revamping and and travel and documentary stuff. I haven't forgotten about you. I love you guys to death, but I did have a couple of other things. And I really, really think this documentary is going to be very good. It's not just about Poland. It's about the West. It's about history. It's about the war. It's, I mean, it's amazing stuff, I think. Um, and I'm certainly looking forward to gritting my teeth. You know, I don't mind seeing myself on camera. I don't mind listening to myself. But this is a big risk for me <laughs> to try something like this. So I'm going to grit my teeth and... Uh, take a shot or two. No, I won't really do that, but I'll grip my teeth when it comes time to looking at the footage and, and figuring things out. We did get some lovely shots uh, with a... Um, uh, we did get a drone because there's some beautiful sights up uh, there in Poland and it's a beautiful place. So, uh, Let's see here. Joseph Clark says, Stefan, do you think the reintroduction of Aristotelian ethics is necessary for men to reclaim the collective moral character? So Eudomania, the eudomania no eudomania the idea that the pursuit of excellence in moral activities is the highest goal that you're going to get in terms of happiness Uh, oh you're just making me pull out my heart through my armpit but it's not enough it's not enough any more than objectivism was enough or any more than utilitarianism is enough or any of these moral philosophies have not been enough. And I have really striven to close that gap with universally preferable behavior, a rational proof of secular ethics. Again, available free at freedomainradio.com. Or you can, of course, get Essential Philosophy on Amazon as well. And I've got a short, I think, elegant and concise explanation of a truly universal approach to rational ethics in the book. And also I have, um, I wrote a series of Socratic dialogues, like me arguing with evil, vaguely Richard Dawkins stuff, uh, which uh, is probably worth listening to an audiobook. although it's good to read as well in the book. But uh, uh, I, <sighs> the past failed. The past led to where we are now. We can't go back. It's like rewinding the movie and hoping to get a different ending this time. Doesn't happen. Sorry, the therapist is dead no matter how many times you rewind. So to me, it's like, well, can we go back and just get that stuff that we lost and bring it forward? It's like, I'm not trying to say determinism, but the fact is that the past led us to where we are now. And Aristotelian ethics has had just a little under two and a half thousand years to take root and fix things. And it hasn't. It hasn't. Now, you can go back and you can hope that you can resurrect it and rewind it and make it work this time. But I doubt it. (laughs) I doubt it's going to work very strongly. You'll have to try something new. You know, the old thing, uh, to to do the same thing but expect a different outcome is the definition of insanity. Tried Socrates. Tried Aristotle. Tried St. Augustine. Tried Nietzsche. Tried Hegel. Tried Spinoza. Tried Descartes. Tried the existentialists. Tried the pragmatists. The utilitarians. Tried the deists. Tried the Christians. Tried, like, tried, tried. We tried it all, and this is where it's like Us too. We have to try something new. We have to try something new. There is great temptation to go back into the past and say, well, you know, Aristotle's a very respected philosopher. Let's resurrect his ethics and solve everything. It's not going to. It's not going to. Filling yourself with the ballast, the weight, and the wind of essentially what has turned out to be historical errors is not going to lead you to the promised land. It's just not. It's a trap. It also arises out of an interesting kind of insecurity, at least I think it's interesting, it's certainly interesting to me, which is if you need to hook yourself into Aristotle, the question is why? Can you think for yourself? Can you come up with your own arguments and your own theories and your own ideas? Are you willing to stand naked before the world and say, This is me and my arguments, and I got nothing? Except my arguments and the force of my personality. That's all I got. That's all I got. I got no PhD from Harvard. I got no grand pedigree. I got no peer-reviewed papers. I got no great acceptance from the general philosophical doohickey whistleblowers of the modern world. I got nothing. Nothing. Three chords and the truth. I got 26 letters and the truth. It's all I got. It's all I got. I'm not on TV all the time. (laughs) I'm not being discussed by the very erudite in the world. In fact, I'm being opposed by them. So I'm not going to give you any reason to believe me other than my arguments themselves. You can't reference any pedigree. You can't reference any letters. You can only reference what I'm saying. That is very tough for people because everybody wants the argument from authority which they can hide behind, whether it's Aristotle or a PhD or television appearances or a best-selling book or whatever it is. I'm popular in a dying culture. (laughs) I'm accepted by the elites who led us here. The universities that have gutted Western civilization saw fit to grant me a PhD. Say some people, not me. No, we we, we can't. We can't go back. Can't go back. It's tempting because there's pedigree in the past. But just leads back to here. But we'll be worse off because we've Opportunity costs is the essence of life in many ways. Opportunity costs. All the time we spend pursuing the past, attempting to resurrect the past, attempting to save the future with the errors of the past is all time we are not spending building something unique and powerful, individuated in the here and now. So I hope that helps. Sorry, I get this, since I had this tooth out, um, I have to wait for it to heal before figuring out what to do with it. I get this odd little bit of drool on this side. <laughs> or maybe it's just me and this new studio lighting. <laughs> All right. Germa. Ah, wash my hands. Okay, so Jerma says, any chance of getting Saifedean Amwassan, great Australian Austrian economist primarily known for Bitcoin, but he knows so much about the history of money, where he can ignore Bitcoin and just talk shit on fiat. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let me make a note of that, and uh, after he probably just heard me pronounce his name, he may not want to come back on, but uh, let me just make a note of that. Thank you for the suggestion. Um, I I have talked, me, with some Austrian economists, uh, and I'm sure I will do it again. All right, so let me just uh, make my note here. Thank you again. Actually, I'll just copy the whole super chat so I don't forget. And that's, uh, you know, I hate to say, well, that's one I won't need to do a lot of research for, but I know me some Bitcoin, and I know me some Austrian economics. All right, what do we got here? Oh, Lord, let me not miss anyone. Conway, did I say thank you for that? Thank you for that. Booker DeWitt. I'd like something on a lighter note. Okay, can you talk about one of your favorite movies, perhaps a movie that you found both influential and entertaining. My friend Booker. Oh, I was just thinking about doing this. I'm gonna tell you about my very favorite movie. My very favorite movie is a Merchant Ivory production called Room With a View. I so vividly remember seeing that in the theater with a couple friends and family members. I didn't even know when it came out, but 30 years ago, probably a little more. Julian Sands is in it. Um, Just a great, great cast and a beautiful movie. Uh, Exquisitely acted, delicately put together with with wonderful comedy and surprising twists and turns. It is a treasure of a movie. And that life, that English aristocracy, Life where they get to play tennis in windy, rainy days out in the back lawn and read books and study fossils and learn and lead. Oh, God. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished to climb into that movie in the Victorian days or the quasi-Victorian days. I don't know exactly when the movie happened, but... uh, Ugh. Ugh. It's a, it's a glorious movie. It's a beautiful movie. And it's a movie that uh, around love and authenticity and honesty and not being manipulative and being vulnerable. It's a great, great movie. And uh, I have an affinity for the Victorian age because it gave rise to the modern world and the IQs in the Victorian age were considered to be about a standard deviation higher than they are now. We are dumb and down like crazy these days. And um, I love that. Movie. Let me just, you know, I'm just blanking out on a couple of the cast member names. I've got them on the tip of my tongue, and you'll know them when I say them. But I'm gonna just have a quick look of them up. It's of course an adaptation of an old E.M. Forster novel, and I've read a couple of E.M. Forster novels, and that one is really good. That one is really good. And this way, I can find out. 1985. I was 19. 1985. Lucy Honeychurch. Oh, the name. Oh, that's right. Maggie Smith is in it, too. I forgot about that. I mean, what a, what a cast. Check this out. So we got Maggie Smith, Helena Bonham Carter, who's actually descended from a politician who jousted with Churchill back in the day. Denholm Elliott, Julian Sands, a gorgeous, gorgeous man. Simon Callow. Actually, I read Simon Callow's autobiography and he said when he was up for that movie he thought he would get the young handsome guy's part he's like hey i can lose some weight i can win patrick godfrey judy dench was in it daniel day lewis was incredible uh in in that movie as a very sort of uptight and self-conscious and um social metaphysician other directed kind of personality type rupert graves um who had like the best hair. I was just starting to lose my hair and that's back when I was self-conscious about it. Rupert Graves had like the best hair on the planet and uh, still a good looking guy. I mean, okay, the movie's a little gay, don't get me wrong. Definitely a little gay. But yeah, it's a 1908 novel. I assume it was set back a little bit in time. Edwardian era of England, it is, um, it taught me a lot about just being authentic. Just being authentic. I hope that this is what comes across. It, I can't really tell, but you can tell me in in the chat. I hope this is what comes across when I talk. Is that I'm I say that I'm genuine. I, I'm I want to be honest and frank with the world and talk about my thoughts without artifice, without artificiality, without manipulation. Just tell you guys straight what it is that I think and feel and why. Because I think that's the only way we can connect and it's the only way we can be, have any kind of community or, or linkage or anything like that. So seeing that movie was quite powerful for me just in terms of be honest, be direct, be straight, and if you can do it at all, try to be as good-looking as Julian Sands in his prime, who was a tasty slab of hunkasaurus man-meat without a doubt. So... Yeah, go check that movie, out. Ah, yeah. uh, BL Perak says, love the Q&A format. Very interesting. Thanks, Stefan. Well, thank you very much for your support. Conservative kookaburra. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that part of my speech in uh, Australia. We've got people to imitate the kookaburra bird. Anyway, will predominantly Islamic electorates ever vote for Christian slash atheist candidates over Islamic candidates? Ooh, it's a big, big question. I would not hold my breath in particular. Uh, Islam, as I've talked about, just as Judaism does, uh, has, has in-group preferences and does not extend its moral absolutes to the out-group. So a Muslim is allowed to lie to a, Muslim, a non-Muslim if it serves the cause of Islam. There are, of course, the Judaic chosen people and if you are not a jew you are not part of the chosen people and there are words out there you know them as well as i do that are considered by some to be dismissive or derogatory so there's a very strong in-group preference in the old testament religions uh, that don't have jesus right so jesus was uh, the the, thou shalt not steal. Now, originally thou shalt not murder was thou shalt not murder Jews, and then they sort of lopped that one off, I guess as is somewhat common in the Jewish tradition, and it was thou shalt not kill, and the moral commandments of Christianity extend to everyone, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. But in a lot of the other religions, and again, Islam and Judaism in particular, the in-group preference is uh, overwhelming like i was talking to a guy this is just a silly anecdote but i think it illustrates it i was talk- talking to a guy who had some sort of conflict with some shop owner across the street and the shop owner comes in and is yelling and screaming at him and really angry at him and and threatening and all that and then the guy says well you know i'm i'm a muslim too right this the guy was a muslim and, you know, showed him his Koran uh, and his prayer mat and so on. And the guy changed 180. Oh, I'm so sorry, my brother. You know, let's sit down. Let's have a tea. Let's work it out. And it's like, ah, ah. <laughs> <"Ugh." laughs> you know, it's like. <clears throat> so the in-group preference stuff is really, really tough. And if you've lived in a society without that strong in-group preference, see, mora- morality has spread from Christianity around the world in very powerful ways. Christianity had a lot to do with the genesis of the free market. Uh, Christianity had a lot to do with the genesis of uh, universal ethics. And of course, it was Christians who hounded slavery off the major maps and ports of the world throughout the 19th and, uh, well, 19th century in particular. And after Wilberforce and so on, they banned it in the British Empire. And then they worked not just to ban it in the British Empire, they worked to ban it all over the world. Uh, Christians, Christians who did that. So Christianity has this Non in group preference that allows for the spread of universal ethics. But it is that non in group preference that lends Christian societies to be uniquely weak relative to more assertive societies when you have a welfare state. And that's a big, big, big problem. And our inability to let people suffer is going to cause the suffering of everyone. I mean, I'm just telling you that straight up right now. Oh, well, you know, if the woman gets pregnant by the wrong guy and she shouldn't suffer, she shouldn't. It's like, yeah, she should. She should. Not because I want her to. It's because the alternative is for everyone to suffer. The alternative is for everyone to suffer. If we take away negative consequences from people who make bad decisions, everyone's going to end up making bad decisions, and there will be no resources available for anyone after a while. The welfare state is the single-mother state. The national debt is the single-mother debt, to a large degree, not exclusively to a large degree. So it's like, well, we can't have sad women. Okay, well, we just end up with everyone's miserable because people got dependent on the state. The state ran out of money. It's a disaster. So. so there will be, of course, Muslims who will vote for non-Muslims. But there is a very strong in group preference, and I think that that is going to uh, assert itself. All right. Matt, any advice for men who have no clear path in life, feel dispensable, or have little to offer the world? Thank you for your work. I admire your hustle. Do, do, do. You admire my stir the pot dance moves as well, if you knew them. So. Well, Matt, you are dispensable, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm dispensable too, if that makes a, a, any consolation to you. It's, it's more than a feeling, my friend. You are dispensable. And um, the only thing that you have to offer the world is the tax money you can generate. And in return for that, you will be slandered and smeared and called a patriarchal, sexist, racist, whatever, right? So this is the grave danger of where the world is in the West, is that men have been so mistreated by their culture that they will, most of them will do little to lift a finger to save it. In order for, for men to want to save their society, like the soldier doesn't fight because he hates what's in front of him, The soldier fights because he loves what's behind him. Right? I mean, if it's your car, maybe you'll resist somebody who tries to carjack you with you in it. But if it's a rental car, you'll be like, hey, man, have the car. man. <laughs> it's fine. Take it. Yeah. Want me to give you some gas money, too? Right. You understand. Nobody changes the oil in a rental car. Nobody steam cleans the seat in an airplane, right? You steam clean, I hope. You steam clean stuff at home, right? You have to love something to want to treasure it and to want to protect it. It has to be your own private property. And as socialism has taken over the West, societies have been socialized and men don't want to protect that, which has been socialized because it's destructive to men. You don't want to save a system that's preying on you, do you, right? You don't want to fight to defend a system that uses you as a tax slave in order to buy votes from foolish people. Why would you want to? It would be crazy. So get angry, peacefully, reasonably. But no, get angry. Get angry. This system sucks for men. This system sucks for men. You've got no respect in the society. You're always portrayed as an idiot. Civilization that you have built turns on you and pretends that it just somehow magically appeared out of resentment and entitlement and victimhood. The rationality that you manifest and espouse is now considered to be White privilege, meritocracy is considered to be white privilege, it's all racism, right? Objectivity, racism, it's mad. It's mad. I wouldn't lift a finger to save this damn system, I won't. I won't risk one hair on my chinny chin chin to save this wretched testosterone mind exploitation of gonads system which crushes men like old cans in a vice or old cars on a magnet. Don't care about it. Don't like it. Have contempt for it. Despise it. As a vicious, violent, self-important, pompous, virtue-signaling pile of shit. I'd hate it if it had any grandeur to it. But it's so petty and squalid. You know, late democracy is so petty and so squalid and so dumb, it's so stupid, it's so stupid. Everybody knows the government's running out of money and everyone pretends it can go on forever. Everybody knows that the debts are absolutely unsustainable and everybody just wants to take on more obligations. It's so retarded. Nah, that's an insult to retarded people. It's not their fault, but nah. You know, space aliens can come down tomorrow and say, we're changing everything. I'm like, well, I'm listening. (laughs) You know, I go to Poland. What is it, 99% white? I don't need any security. The streets are incredibly clean. Crime is almost non-existent. Nobody gets called a racist. There's no talk of white privilege. No identity politics. No endless diversity nagging. (laughs) You know, I've spoken against white nationalism, but I'm an empiricist. I'm an empiricist. (laughs) I went to the country. I saw how it was like. We could put something out on social media to have a social gathering, and we actually had the social gathering without bomb threats, without violence, without attacks, without things coming through the window. I've spoken out against white nationalism, but I'm I'm an empiricist. I'm listening. (laughs) I'm listening to my experiences. Can't argue with the facts. Can't argue with the reality. I mean, you can, but... All right, couple more. Let's see here. Azriel says, would love it if you could do a response video to my rebuttal of the art of the argument. Check out this uh, on mine. Willing to donate an additional $100 if you agree. Thanks. Oh, uh, Listen, dude, look, I appreciate that. It's a very, very kind offer. But I'm really not for sale. <laughs> <Nick. gasps> a rebuttal video, I'll pay you. Like, because people call me, like, oh, they email me, and they say, listen, I'll pay for a private car. Like, I don't, I'm not for sale. I'll take donations, <laughs> but I'm not for sale. And um, I will have a look, but I don't think I'll do a response video. I think if you've got some good criticisms, let's just have a debate. I mean, that's, let's have a conversation about it so uh, I will uh, make a note of it Uh, but again I'm you know I hate to sound this way but I'm more interested in building new stuff than I am in revisiting old stuff that doesn't mean I won't at all but I'm just telling you where I'm coming from and hopefully that will make some kind of sense Um, how many how many views does the video have yeah it's important too you know if you want me to come and check something out um, I do kind of need to see how many views Oh, you're on Mines. Okay. Yeah, I will uh, I will check it out. I will check it out. All right. One or two more questions. Um. All right. Oh, yeah. Give me some praise for the... Uh, well, give the... I mean, I did very little of this. This is mostly done by people who know what the hell they're doing. Uh, what do we got here? Let me see. Tell me what you think of the... Uh, of the setup. Yeah, I think it's it's a little dark. It's a little tough to tell in here in the studio. It looks pretty nice on the monitor, but it's hard to tell on YouTube because they they freak up your stuff quite a bit here. Um <laughs> You a whore, Steph. Don't lie to me, bra. No. I am a whore in some ways, but only for reason and evidence. Stefan equals give me money. Oh yeah, the e begging stuff. You know what? I like to have good equipment with which to spread philosophy to the world. And it's kind of shockingly expensive, <laughs> some of this stuff. I mean, whew, you try bringing a film crew out to Poland and it's, it's some money. So, yeah, I mean, you can, uh, you can help out. As you know, freedomainradio.com. Uh, sorry, that's not very helpful. freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. You can help out. Uh, it is a little, it is a little dark, nice color, right? Yeah, we will, uh, we will sort it out. I mean, there's things that I can fart around with. I probably won't do it right now because it's probably gonna mess everything up. But yeah, like I can, I can brighten up the lights a little there. Uh, how's that? It's a little better, right? Yeah, we got, basically we got stuff to play around with, which I didn't have before. And before it was kind of garish. And, uh, it was also kind of tough because I was looking into a camera With these lights coming in like a 747 landing on my frontal lobes. That was kind of rough. (laughs) All right. The color is sexy. It's not the color, my friend. All right. Why is Ben Shapiro aggressively against big government and welfare, but he supports giving Israel billions of dollars every single year? I'm pretty sure you know the answer to that as well as I do. So I think to ask that question is to answer it. Um, Oh, yeah. So the other thing, too, is that uh, I've got some additional stuff here, too. Um, I plan on uh, changing up the lighting a little bit for various things as well. So. All right. Uh, Let's see here. What do we got? Oh, yeah. No, I had one I missed. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I missed one. That was a. All right. Ah, here we go. Um, Durr, you shouldn't ask for money for your work. Steph, lose us without jobs. Keep up the good work. No, here's the thing, man. And I've said this before, but it, it really does bear repeating. Like, the people, like, if you're out there and, you know, I, you guys are great and even the trolls are fun, right? If you're out there, like, getting mad at me, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you should have seen the comments when I sang a few bars uh, of, of songs in my... Um, Queen uh, Bohemian Rhapsody review. Whoa, I mean, holy trigger, Batman. You know, it's I can't I can't use their songs. You know, I'm i I've got a edgy I've got an edgelord show. I can't be using other people's material. There's a reason why I don't use people's clips anymore, you know? Like it's dicey, it's I'm on the edge at all the times, right? So I wanted to mention a couple of things about these songs and I, like I sang a couple of bars and You know, some people were like, hey, I really liked it. Some people were like, yeah, you're a decent amateur singer. I'm like, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. But people were like, never, ever sing again. Cringe death. Oh, I can't take it. Oh, You lost me when you started singing. I had to close out of the show. I'm never coming back. I unsubscribed because of your singing. And it's like, that's just a little hysterical. It was just a couple of notes that I sang. I kind of like to sing I know I'm not a great singer but I kind of like to sing <laughs> and I do okay with some things and so the people who were like I'm still gonna sing on the show if I feel like it hey I'm sorry if you don't like it but you know I mean what is it a grand total of maybe one minute every year that I sing <laughs> on the show it's really not a big thing and other people really liked it like I ah, buy an album if you're nice. like, it's very kind it's very nice but, but the funny thing is there's people who are like, oh, cringe, you sang, man. And it's like, oh, I couldn't take it. I couldn't. Like, you're not going to stop me from singing. You're just going to stop you from singing. Like, you're just going to stop you from doing stuff that's fun and spontaneous and enjoyable. Like, people think that they're putting a, no- a noose around me. You're not. I just walk out of that illusion, right? Like, I just, you know, fart that noise into the stratosphere. I just keep going and doing my thing. It's you who get stopped by this, not me. Not me. I'm going to sing. I'm going to do it now. No, like, I want to look at that. Some light fell off. What is that now? It just looked like I'm getting an x-rayed or something now. But, but as, and it's like the people, like, you're e-begging. It's like all you're doing is you're preventing yourself from being able to ask for what you want in the future. You understand, right? That's all you're doing. That's all you're doing. If you get mad at me for saying, I would like you to help support what it is that I'm doing at freeradio.com/donate, If you get really mad at me about that, you get enraged and e-begging and it's pathetic and it's pitiful. And it's like, I'm still going to keep doing it. And I get to do what I love because of wonderful people like you. But you are walling yourself in, you understand? You think it's a bear trap that goes on my leg? No, it goes on your balls, it's all. I'm just walking off in the woods and... You know, you think you're, you're throwing a spear at me. You're just gouging your own leg. Like, it, it's it's very silly and it's very sad. But I really want people to understand this. You're not stopping me. Because I have my own values. I have my own system. I have a whole system here. I have a whole system of people who love me and people who give me feedback and people I've run over ideas with and so on. So... That's what matters to me. Those people, my conscience matters to me. The people around me matter to me. You type it away on the internet. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's nice that you type. But you remember the words that I forget. You remember the restrictions that I just walk past. You think you're digging me some sort of hole that I get stuck in and you get to wander off? No, I walk right over it like it ain't even there because it's not for me. You're the one who falls in the hole. You're the one who gets stuck. You're the one who has to live with trying to squelch someone's spontaneous and joyful creativity because, 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 and I know why, I know why. It's because when you were a kid, people shat all over your creativity. And I'm really sorry for that. Like it really, oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. And you probably have a lot to offer the world in terms of creativity. You probably really do have a lot because you wouldn't get mad at my spontaneous, joyful creativity If you didn't want it for yourself, if you didn't want that freedom for yourself, you understand you're not trying to chain me down. You're trying to chain your own pain, your own history, and your own desire down. Because it's you who won't be able to sing. I'm still going to sing. It's you who won't be able to burst into song. It's you who won't have that joy and that pleasure of spontaneous creation. And I do it partly because it's fun for me. I do it partly to illustrate something I wanted to illustrate. And I do it partly to free you, my friends, to free you. Because I'm not a great singer. I'll go belt out a couple of lines. I don't give a shit if you like it or not. Like Honestly, I wish maybe I'd be a better person if I did. I don't really care. It was important for the show that I was doing. It was important. It was something I was very passionate about. And I couldn't just mumble way my through it and say, oh, this song that was like, do, 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 do. like it just, it was passionate, it's powerful for me. So I wanted to express that. <laughs> oh no, he's singing. <laughs> just go sing, man. Just, just go do something fun and joyful and spontaneous in the world. Just uh, live in a world where everyone's not like you. <laughs> and maybe you'll be fine. All right. One or two more. In my opinion, the lighting looked better when that light fell. All right. Well, you know what? I'll I'll take that light down. So you're saying that looks better? That looks better? Ah, uh, you know, we'll we'll fight around with it. And uh, thank you very much for that. There's 101 ways to censor people. Sorry, uh, that was from, I forgot to say, John Bob. Joanne says, there's 101 ways to censor people you don't want to see. The premise of censorship is to prevent... Others from seeing content you don't like. Keep singing. I will keep singing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, uh, sorry, Capitalism Entertainment and Technology said, hey, for some, a bear trap on the balls might be their thing, not mine, but eh. You know, it, it might be your thing, but it, it probably isn't your thing for that long because, you know, that's quite a thing to, to put on your balls. Let me tell you that. All right. All right. Sing another song. Both of them. B-O-F-A? I don't know. All right. Well, yeah, women's suffrage. Yeah, it's sad, eh? the, The suffragettes fought. They fought hard to get votes for women before even men had the right to vote, when men had to go off to war. It was one of my favorite tweets recently. I tweeted, um... Okay, men, you can have the vote, but you will have to sign up for the draft and we'll probably be sent for war. And men are like, okay. Now, women, you can get the vote too, but you will have to submit to yourself to objective standards of evidence when it comes to making claims of sexual assault for men. And the women are like, actually, just a vote, thanks. That's just a vote, we'll do. it wasn't the singing, it was the reverb that raped our ears. <laughs> raped your ears? <laughs> <laughs> ah, Hyperbole much, my friend? That's <laughs> <laughs> when I did my first show with Diamond and Silk, who well, I left to death. And I just remember there was a comment that said, RIP headphone users, because they are uh, emphatic and very, very nice. Uh, Democrats now control the House. What do you think? Well, you know, all, all Trump did was buy some time. And Trump was like white people's panic response to um, demographic changes that guarantees socialism. So, um, well, uh, the fact that half of America is willing to vote for a company that, uh, sorry, for a uh, company, willing to vote for a uh, political party that, weaponized women's accusations of sexual assault. That's uh, pretty telling, Well, they're addicted to power and so on. So its uh, it means that to use an overused phrase, 2020, my friends, it's gonna be pretty lit. Well, next year though, it's gonna be pretty lit, pretty lit here in Canada and I'm gonna have, oh, Phil Collins, yeah. Yeah, I like. The reverb is non-consensual. Oh, I do like Phil Collins, actually. Some of his stuff is fantastic. And I won't even say like some of his earlier stuff. I wasn't a huge fan of the stuff he did with Genesis, but his solo stuff was fantastic. Lonely Man on the Corner was was great. The song Abacab from the album Abacab is great. Home by the Sea. ah, It's one of the few songs that I... When I first started getting into singing... As we will live our lives in what they tell you. There's that high bit, and it's like really powerful. He's really got quite a voice. I was actually struck by Phil Collins when he was on tour, but only faxed his children back before email because he couldn't phone because he had to save his voice. That's how delicate the instrument is. And when you've got, you know, 10,000 people who want to come and see you, that's quite a big thing. And, uh, you know, the classic, you know, uh, Well, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. That's great. Great song. All right. Phil Collins is a globalist. Yeah, well, probably. Steph, how do you stop self-hatred and self-sabotage? Well, you recognize that these are demons implanted in you by horrible people in order to control you, and you push back with anger. All right. Well, it looks like we're just now running porn lines on Phil Collins' songs, which is entertaining. Do you think Macron and Trudeau will be elected on a second term? Not objectively, but they're going to alter the demographics to the point where they're a shoe in and that's where the balance is right now. All right. Okay, one more. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, A.V. Scott and Flower says, your thoughts on the MGTOW YouTube adpocalypse. I've been telling everyone forever, please, please stop relying on ads. I never have. I never will. I rely... On you lovely beautiful generous people stop relying on ads it's kind of like if you tell people over and over again and I have for years tell people over and over again if you're gonna do anything controversial and you rely on ads you have a huge point of weakness and I have been suggesting it I've been telling people how to do it for years and years and years stop relying on ads rely on your audience Have the courage to ask for donations. It's not an easy thing to do because people can say no, and most of you do. But nonetheless, say to people, I really, really need your support. Please help me out at freedomainradio.com slash donate. And some people will send you money. Not many, but some. Enough. But it's hard for people to do that, so I think they just rely on ads. And that's a huge vulnerability. And... You can only tell people so long that what they're doing is very, very risky. And if they want to keep doing it, well, as the gods say, take what you want and pay for it. That's uh, the way that it works. All right. Well, I should probably pack it in for the night, though I do love chatting with you guys. And <laughs> I could do it all night long, baby. But uh, there's your gift, Anyway, so Owen Benjamin. What about Owen Benjamin? Oh, you guys are too fascinating. All right. Well, thank you very much for the feedback. We will work on the lighting and uh, get it a little brighter. But trust me, this bowling head, flesh-faced forehead is not the easiest thing to uh, uh, to light in the known universe. But we will work it out. And, yeah, just tell me know of this. Let me know of this. Um, let me know. Just drop me a line if you can or let me know in the comments below. What was it? Uh, was it Reddit? Somebody tried it posting a video of mine on Reddit. And they got a message back that says that my channel was not whitelisted or wasn't on the whitelist. Probably nonsense, but uh, but anyway. All right, loved you guys so much. I'm sorry that I didn't get to the final super chats because uh, uh, I am uh, I'm still you know I'm still half on. Good Lord, I'm still half on uh, Poland time. And in Poland, like it's 10:37 p.m. where I am, but in Poland, that's 4:37 a.m. So uh, I'm gonna sort of pack it in. Uh, Thanks, you guys, so much. Uh, As always, it is uh, a huge, deep privilege and a pleasure to speak philosophy with you guys. Thank you for the thousands of people who've dropped by. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. And we're going to try and get the documentary done relatively quickly. Uh, And I am kind of a one-take wonder when it comes to speeches. So we will get that out for you. And I'm really, really curious what you guys think. I hope hope you like it because I really, really enjoyed doing it. And I hope that you will let me know. So freedomainradiocom slash donate. Thanks again, my friends, so much. Uh, This new studio setup's not quite done, so I must wander away. Don't forget Hoaxed Movie. Uh, Hoaxed Movie, H-O-A-X-E-D, hoaxedmovie.com to check it out. Love you guys so much. Thanks again for all of your support. It's a great privilege and a pleasure. I will talk to you soon.